This is The Drive with Josh Graham podcast. We're internet sensations, guys. Tune into The Drive weekday afternoons, 3 to 7 on WSJS. You are on a Monday drive. It is WSJS, News Talk Sports for the Triad, where just because the Carolina Panthers weren't playing yesterday doesn't mean their fans got a Sunday off from being mad watching football. That's because, once again, C.J. Stroud balled out in a Texans win. Meanwhile, Panthers had their worst offensive outing of the season just a few days ago in Chicago Thursday night. Ten weeks into the season, here's where the Bryce Young-C.J. Stroud debate stands. It's too soon to know if the Panthers made a mistake in taking Bryce, but it's not too soon to say that the Texans hit a home run in drafting C.J. Both those things can be true. And since he played yesterday, let's start with the C.J. piece of this. We know the Texans did not miss in drafting C.J. Stroud. After his record 470 yards against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, he outdueled Joe Burrow in Cincinnati and led another game-winning drive. Some are saying he's in the MVP conversation. He is awesome, and he's only going to get better. He's the rare year-one anomaly that just emerges right out of the gate and is immediately playing well. Justin Herbert, he's somebody that comes to mind that did something similar a few years ago. Cam Newton obviously did so in his first year with the Panthers. Seldom do you see somebody flash right out of the gate and win Rookie of the Year and at that position become a bust. The only guys you could potentially argue that for the last 15 years argue that that happened was perhaps Sam Bradford, maybe RG3, but in both those cases, those quarterbacks had significant injuries, and that's really what derailed both of their careers. So short of injuries happening, C.J. Stroud's going to be in our lives for a long time, and he's going to be a franchise quarterback, and he's going to be very good. What Stroud is doing is abnormal. This is what people need to remember, Panther fans especially. What Stroud is doing is abnormal. What Bryce Young is experiencing at the moment is normal for rookie quarterbacks, even the ones that are taken number one. In fact, especially for those quarterbacks because odds are you're being drafted to a bad team. Ask Peyton Manning. Ask Trevor Lawrence. There are many examples of this. And the thing that doesn't get talked about enough, I'm sure that's something that's brought up at nauseum, oh, those quarterbacks got off to suffer such a rough start. Uh, don't write off Bryce completely because of that. There's another piece to this as it relates to the Bryce-CJ conversation. There are recent examples of guys who flash in year one who don't end up being the best quarterback in their class. In other words, just because CJ is better right now and is off to a better start and is going to end up being a really good quarterback does not mean that Bryce still can't be better than him when that support comes, when Bryce starts to figure things out, when Bryce continues to progress. I mentioned Justin Herbert earlier. Nobody in 2021 after that season, especially with Joe Burrow going down with a knee injury, would say, even if Burrow didn't sustain the injury, that they would have taken Burrow over Herbert after that rookie season in 20. Nobody would have said that. Especially when you factor the injury into that. 
If you asked anybody today, who would you rather have, Joe Burrow or Justin Herbert? Obviously, they would say you'd take Joe Burrow, the guy who's been to championship games and took the Bengals of all franchises to the Super Bowl. Justin Herbert hasn't even won a playoff game before. So just because Herbert left a better first impression doesn't mean that he's the better quarterback, the best quarterback of that class, and the same could be true of this class as well. Baker Mayfield. He had much better numbers, much more success than Josh Allen did. And Josh Allen inherited a team that made the playoffs the year before. Josh Allen really struggled. Nobody in 2018 after that year would have said, give me Josh Allen over Baker Mayfield. Today, five years later, if you ask that question, who would you rather have? The answer is pretty obvious who you would take. So while I feel pretty comfortable saying CJ is going to be a really good quarterback, all-pro, pro-bowl guy, that doesn't mean Bryce Young still can't be better than him. The lack of... And, and the main reason that you got to completely write off a lot of what we're seeing with Bryce right now is the lack of support is just that blatant. Are you... If you're wondering why CJ is able to play the way that he's played just the last two weeks, look at the health of his offensive line. Early on in the season... While he wasn't turning over the football, the numbers weren't all that prolific. And now that Laramie Tunsil is healthy at left tackle and the right side of that line is in place for Houston, you're seeing CJ's game really go to another level. They're playing great complimentary football. D'Amico Ryans, they hit a home run with that higher. Did the Panthers hit a home run with Frank Reich? The Panthers' offensive line is among the worst in the NFL. They were once on pace to set a record for QB pressures allowed. Montez Sweat had eight pressures by himself on Thursday night. Receivers, they're not separating. They're dropping passes. The coaching was not great in the last game. In fact, it was pretty bad. And despite that, Bryce has still done good things. The three fourth down conversions against the Bears, the game-winning drive head-to-head with CJ the week before that that people seem to forget pretty conveniently. It's too soon to say whether the Panthers made a mistake in drafting Bryce, but we do know that the Texans hit with Stroud. Both those things can be true. On X, WSJS Radio, if you want in, that's where we're streaming video. In addition to YouTube and Twitch, Will Dalton is the executive producer of the show. WD, you were at Duke Carolina on Saturday night. What was the highlight of being in the mosh pit at Keenan Stadium? It was just the back and forth of overtime. I mean, it, it, it was... No, 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 no. We all watched the game. But when the field gets stormed, there's so much happening at that time that we can't see on television, other than Mac Brown crying. Mm-hmm. What what were you seeing in that moment? I mean, I was seeing crazy, drunk college students excited that they just got that dub. And, I mean, more, more so, I was just trying to make sure I... Kind of like Duke Clemson early in the season with you, I was just trying to make sure I didn't get tackled. Because, like, I was trying to get footage of everything. And so, like, I just had my head on the swivel the whole time, looking over my shoulder. Good for you. Yeah. We'll get into that game in a bit. Yes. Not a great weekend for Duke. Speaking of which, a new AP basketball poll dropped today, and after Friday night's game at Cameron Indoor, Arizona climbs nine spots to number three, while Duke falls from the second ranking to number nine, which sounds about right. But going into that game, it was pretty obvious one way or another Caleb Love was going to be the story. And that's exactly what happened. He took center stage when it mattered most to win the game winning at Cameron once again, and it was a moment that was very well-deserved for him. I felt very good for him because that's a guy who was pushed out of Chapel Hill. If there was any doubt that he was pushed out of Chapel Hill 
going into the weekend. His comments on his shoes, even Tar Heel for Life, and what he said after the game, that should put all of that to rest. He was scapegoated for last season despite being the Tar Heels' leading scorer. He wasn't admitted to Michigan, if you remember, for reasons that seem pretty political and more to do with Jawan Howard and his relationship with the university than it did with Caleb Love. Felt bad for him, and he goes to Arizona, and he seems to be on a really good basketball team and have a good role. His teammates were really fighting for him, and despite how things ended in Chapel Hill, it doesn't seem like Caleb carries any resentment. Just listen to what he had to say when asked about the Tar Heels for Life that was written on his shoe. Um, that's what I am. I'm a Tar Heel for Life. Um, you know, regardless of you know what our differences is or um, you know what happened in the past, you know, I, I still got love for you know Tar Heel Nation. There you go. Still has love for Tar Heel Nation, but it's a pretty staggering shot and comment. I'm a Tar Heel for life while wearing an Arizona jersey, which should tell you everything you need to know about whose decision it ultimately was that Caleb transferred out. Caleb, he struggled for most of the game, but when it mattered most, he had the most important plays of the game in the final minute. And I'm not just talking about the free throws. He hit the four free throws and didn't even draw rim on any of the four. But don't forget, after Jeremy Roach hit the shot to put Duke up two, Caleb, he drove, and if you look at the defenders on Duke, everybody and their mother thought that Caleb was going to put the shot up. Because that's who Caleb Love is, that's what he did in Chapel Hill. But then he passed it up, and it was his assist into the paint that led to the go-ahead game uh, and one, and a lead that Arizona wouldn't relinquish. He hit the free throws, and then he picked off the long inbounds pass from Ryan Young, on the final play of the game before waving at the crazies, the whole deal. And his coach, Tommy Lloyd, was happy for him, happy for Caleb, that he was able to have that type of moment. It seemed like a script that was written in Hollywood, which is why I asked him, could you script it better than that? I, I'm, not a, I'm not a scripter. And, and, I, and I just try to coach the game as it plays out in front of me, and uh, I'm not surprised he made him, you know, and, and – you know, I told him, you know, he, he deserved that moment. And, and I don't know if he, I mean, I don't have my glasses, so I can't read the stats. So I don't know if he played good or bad today. Um, you know, it felt like he was, you know, maybe a little, I thought he was playing a little quick on some stuff. And, and you know, I mean, I can imagine it's a pretty emotional moment. And he's a competitive guy. But for him to calmly step up and go four for four from the line down the stretch says a lot about him as a competitor. Caleb Love, he's going to be remembered as a beloved Tar Heel, even though for large stretches of him being in Chapel Hill, he was treated Poorly by the fans. Poorly. The day that he transferred, you had BDOT, the sixth man of Tar Heel basketball, talking about how poorly Caleb was treated. I remember before the Final Four run, people were calling this show, sending emails saying, man, I'm sick of watching this team. I'm sick of watching Caleb Love pull these shots. And then a month later, oh, he's just a beloved figure now because he hit that shot to extinguish Coach K in the Final Four and got that win at Cameron as well in Coach K's final game there. How's this for symmetry? Coach K, his last game at Cameron, Caleb Love won the game. John Shire's first ever loss at Cameron, also at the hands of Caleb Love. So as time passes, he's going to be a beloved figure, but that doesn't mean that. I, I, I gained a lot of respect for Caleb, the way that he handled himself after the game and not harboring resentment in ways that I feel a lot of us would have. And I was really happy for him that he had that moment.
that's experienced as much success as App State has. The leash is always smaller when you lose games. The criticism is always louder when you lose. And since the ODU game, where there were real concerns about missing a bowl for a second straight year, the Mountaineers have won three in a row, all by double-digit margins, and they're going to be bowling this year. App State head coach Sean Clark, with that in mind, now joins the show. Ever since the consecutive losses against Coastal and ODU, what changes have you seen behind the scenes that have made this recent run possible, Coach? Well, I think the one thing that really stands out for our coaches and our players, we stay consistent of who we are. And, and that's that's what you have to do with young kids today. I mean, it's, it's a result-driven business, but the process still matters. And our kids came to work every single day knowing how close we were. If you go back and look at our losses from early in the season, uh, they're less a touchdown or less or overtime against Carolina. So I know we had a good team. I know a lot of people thought it was crazy when I said we have a very, very connected football team and play for one another and play for App State. And really with the more experience we have at quarterback, Joe, this is – uh, Joey's uh, ninth or 10th game of, of starting really his ninth starting job, starting quarterback position. And then, you know, we're playing better up front. We're moving the ball better at offense. Our defense is playing. You know, we have a new defensive coordinator. We uh, switched some things around the defensive side of the ball. We went all in on a new package on defense and our kids are getting more confident with they're playing faster. And again, that's what we have to have to come, come November. You're right about how close the margins are though. You, you mentioned the Carolina game, but the freak fumble, against Coastal when you're driving inside the 20. And, yeah, just a few plays away from being in a position where this is an incredible season for App State, but still nonetheless back to a bowl game after missing out last year. And one thing I've always respected about you is there's never a doubt that regardless of how upset fans can get, nobody takes losses as hard as you do. Like, you kind of remind me of Roy Williams in this regard because you're an alum there at the place that you're coaching. And Roy, he always felt this responsibility to uphold something that Dean Smith built. And you, because he was an assistant for him, and you obviously played for Jerry Moore, who built that program into what has thrived in decades under Scott, under you, under Drink for that year. Was there soul searching at all this year, or would that be a dramatic characterization? No, and that's dramatic. I have a lot of confidence in myself as a head football coach. And I have a lot of confidence in our program, our players. And uh, you mentioned this early. Uh, the, the best thing about being an alumni and coaching the head, head football coach is you know everybody. And the worst thing about being the head football coach and being an alumni is you know everybody. And you, you do have an obligation. And, and there's high expectations here, but you, you'd rather be for it to be that way. Um, and again, we make, we make no bones about it. We want to play for championships year in, year out. And again, there's going to be some tough times. It's no different in life. Um, you, you go through the ups and downs, but if you keep on digging and can be, be keep being consistent of who you are, good things are going to happen. And there was never a doubt in my mind that we were close to being a really good football team. And we have a few games left this season. And the good thing is we're not losing much many for next year. So uh, the future is bright here at App State. And you've identified your guy at quarterback and Joey, which is a really positive thing. Joey Aguilar, Sean Clark with us here, App State head football coach. You've got a big stage this week. App State James Madison College Game Day is headed to Virginia, where JMU right now is unbeaten. And whenever College Game Day comes to your city, 
especially when you're talking about it being a rare occurrence, I'm sure that there are distractions everywhere you turn. Immediately, I think about what was required for you guys to win last year, the Miracle on the Mountain 2, um, and having to beat Troy on that last play of the game. Having gone through that a year ago, how much are you going to enjoy this time around being the visiting team, not having those distractions, and trying to spoil the party Saturday at JMU? Yeah, first of all, if it's used to be playing the the on college game day two years in a row, uh, I think that's great for our conference. It's great for our program. It's great for James Madison. Uh, you did mention all the distractions. There are distractions. Uh, I usually do four to five on camera interviews a week, and the last hour I talked with Joey Jones this morning, we had forty plus interviews that week on camera, and and also you're trying to uh, get your team ready to play. You have people coming into town, former players. Uh, recruiting, you have all your recruits on campus. So there's a lot to be asked from you. Um, I'm sure they have a great plan in place. Um, again, we'll take it here in Boone anytime they want to come back to Boone, but uh, I'm glad it's at James Madison this weekend. Obviously, because of JMU's postseason ban, your conference championship hopes very much alive. And this is a huge game for you guys Saturday. But putting how it would personally benefit your program aside, what are your feelings about the Duke's ban of postseason due to their FBS transition? You know, I really haven't paid much attention to it. Uh, I know people have asked me a bunch of questions. You know, it's um, it's unfortunate, uh, if you will, because again, really the only people it affects or hurts the players. But there are rules in place, and again, I'm, I, that's way above my pay scale. So, uh, whatever the, the powers to be decide, they decide. And again, all we can control is who we are and what we do. And right now, there's a lot of football to be played, and uh, we're right in the hunt for everything. I know something that's not above your pay grade. You threw three movies at WD over this year that he's now watched for the first time. Beverly Hills Cop, Pretty Woman, and Coming to America. WD, how would you rank those three in order? Beverly Hills Cop, Pretty Woman, and Coming to America. We got to put that Pretty Woman right on top. Right on top? We got to do that. That's good. Then Beverly Hills Cop, and then what was the third again? Coming to America. Coming to America. McDowell's. That's, That's right. Are you fine with that ranking, Sean Clark? Yeah, it's Pretty Woman is by far my favorite uh-huh. movie still That's to this right. day. So you can't, you can't go you can't go wrong with Julia Roberts. So never. But here's the next one though. We got we have to get you to watch Fletch. I watched it on the way home from uh, Atlanta this weekend, and it's one of my all time favorites. <laughs> Wait a minute, you're on the team flight back, and Fletch is on. Oh yeah, we, we're in the bus league, and the somebody East are also close together. So. Uh, always download a good movie because I want to get on your show and and talk to Double D about great movies to watch. So uh, WD, where you got to, we'll add Fletch to the rotation because you have no idea what that is. Fletch, uh, please tell me you know enough about Chevy Chase though, right? I mean, I, I know of her. Her? <laughs> he, he he's kidding now. That's a joke. Like you watched Caddyshack. We made you watch Caddyshack. No 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 no. no I no. love Caddyshack. Thanks to Ian Eagle. Shout out to him for making him watch Caddyshack. So, all right, we're gonna add that to the mix. That's pretty good. Do you watch movies with the team? I know. I again, with, things are different now with football. It's how we try. We used to watch a Friday night uh, movie in the hotel, and now with meetings and getting to the hotel late with not much time because we'll get plenty of rest. So I always try to download. Uh, something on my on my iPad to watch in the hotel room and on the way back. So, um, but we have to get Fletch watched. <laughs> Fletch, it's it's an absolute must. We got to make that happen. Uh, I'll tell you what I watched this weekend that I hadn't seen in a decade. Coach, this might be a downloadable for JMU this week. Uh, Wedding Crashers, hadn't seen Great. that one in a long time. Don't think you could make that movie in 2023. It's like the oldest 17, 16 year old movie ever. But man, 
it's great when he's yelling hot route hot route 842 hot route no great great uh call right there i think i watched that about a month ago so you can't go wrong with wedding Dude, crashes erroneous. alignment a lot there we go wd sighting <laughs> lines it's great okay sean clark you go get a win this week we'll see you on college day game day i'm sure your program going to be on a big stage i'll see you at the end of the month when we're going to get ready for basketball and what Dustin Kern's program's doing with Auburn coming to town. So go get a win. Thanks for the time. I appreciate you guys having me. It's always good to talk to you, talk App State football. You got it. That's Sean Clark joining us. WD, please tell me that wasn't a joke that you mm. thought that Chevy Chase was a she. No, that that what that wasn't. I wasn't going to bring this up today, but we're going to do this right oh, now. Okay. Oh, okay. I walk into the office today. I ask WD, do we have any tickets that we might be giving away on the show? And you look at your sheet of paper and you go, yeah, we got tickets to um, uh, Alanis Morissetti. <laughs> Actual thing. Am I, I'm not mischaracterizing this at all. No, he's Alanis not. Morissetti. And then you asked, is it a comedian or a singer? Yeah, I put myself out there on it's that one. It's unfreaking believable, WD. How much work we still, no excuse on that. No excuses whatsoever. So here's what I'm going to do. Turn bad into content. She's going to be in Raleigh. Alanis Morissetti is. Sounds like a mobster. She's going to be in Raleigh next June. If you'd like to go see Alanis Morissetti, give us a call right now at 336-777-1600. The first to call in will get tickets to go see Alanis Morissetti at Coastal Credit Union Music Park next year, 336-777-1600. Let's... Alanis Morissetti. Coming up, we dust off the old field storming debate, plus some good news for Carolina Panthers fans. Keep it on the drive. All right, let's go. Oh, I'm so excited. And three, two, one, go. Back to the drive with Josh Graham. There is good news to get to regarding Carolina Panthers. Some comments from Frank Reich today that you'll hear as well. But let's get to something that I'm sure is going to be an unpopular take, but frankly, I don't care. Storming the field like North Carolina fans did Saturday night against Duke is a symptom of how unserious Carolina football is right now. I am not anti-field storming, but it just has to be special occasions. This year, I've been to a couple of field stormings. Some made a lot of sense, like Duke beating a top 10 team for the first time since Spurrier was the coach on a Monday night marquee game against Clemson. That made sense. I've also been to some that don't make sense. I was at App State ECU Pirates are terrible. They won by 15 points, App did, but that didn't stop their fans from running on the field either. I thought it was ridiculous in that moment, just like I thought it was ridiculous that Carolina fans stormed the field on Saturday night. And I can already hear the folks on X or you in my mentions or on this chat or you in your car saying, Field storming police! Just let the college kids have fun! It's just college kids having fun! I guess Alabama students of the SEC are a bunch of fuddy-duddies that just never have any fun because their students never run onto the field. 
Maybe that's the case. They just don't have fun at Alabama. The dumbest groupthink thing that I heard in my mentions, and this is something I've learned about the internet. When somebody says something that sounds smart, other people will steal it and then say it and regurgitate it over and over and over again, even if it's completely stupid. Like this one here. Josh, think about, have some empathy. Think about these seniors whose career at Carolina started with the pandemic. They had a year robbed from them, Josh. Let them have fun. Let them be. Okay, let's think about them for a second. Let's think about those seniors who arrived on campus, or I guess didn't in 2020, but have been students since then. They stormed the field after beating top 10 Wake Forest in 2021. So you already had a chance to experience that. And less than a year after that, you beat, you stormed Franklin Street after beating Coach K in his last game at Cameron and beating Coach K in the Final Four. Oh, those poor students. Not having much of a fun sports experience whatsoever. My issue with the field storming was that the win was not really worth celebrating all that much. That was not an impressive Carolina win. It reminded me, again, of that App State ECU field storming. You're better than that, Carolina. North Carolina was two touchdown favorites. You're facing a third-string quarterback. You blew a double-digit lead. You got an assist from officiating maybe twice, but especially once. You were awful in the red zone on offense. Uh, let's storm the field after that. Like, to put it in basketball terms, like, what would be the equivalent to being a 14-and-a-half-point favorite in football for basketball? Like, how many points would you have to be favored by? Obviously, football. Maybe 20-some? Yeah, okay. Let's say 20 or 21 points. Sure. Imagine North Carolina is ranked and Duke is not, just like they were on Saturday night. And North Carolina is a 21-point favorite against Duke in basketball. And does not play to its ability, blows a lead, and then wins the game in overtime. Carolina fans are not storming the court. They're not storming the court for that game. They're not. You could probably find examples where Carolina has stormed the court after beating Duke, but usually it's when Carolina's unranked and Duke's ranked in the top 10. That would make sense. I wasn't against that when it happened, I think, 10 years ago. But that's not what we saw Saturday night. But the number one question that I've gotten since Saturday night, why do you care, Josh? Why do you care about this? Just let the college kids have fun. And to that I say, here's why I care. Fans expect us to take Carolina football seriously. I know the coaches want, to, want the football program to be taken seriously. They want to be a national contender one day. You want to be taken seriously. I kind of view myself in this instance like a movie critic in a sense. It's hard to take Carolina football seriously when you do something unserious like storm the field after you're a two-touchdown favorite and blow a lead against Duke like that. It's hard to take that seriously. It would be like Roger Ebert, the great movie critic, being handed an Adam Sandler movie or being handed Superbad, which WD is going to watch for the first time tonight, and being asked to take that like a serious piece of art. Oh, look at this critically. This might be a Best Picture nominee Blended, starring Drew Barrymore and Adam Sandler. Murder Mystery, starring Sandler. That's what you're asking me to do. So you can't have it both ways. It can't be, take us seriously as a football program, except when we do unserious things like they did on Saturday night. There you go. And I'm already seeing it. Let the kids have fun! It's not about what the adults think. Yeah, those Alabama students in the SEC, I guess, never have fun. They don't run on the field at Alabama. Oh, the fuddy-duddies 
in the SEC. Anyway, had to get that off my chest. Feel better? I do. I'm glad. Let's go to Joey in Thomasville. Joey, I take it you disagree with me on this. Yeah, yeah, Josh. I mean, you might feel better, but you just really, I got in my car and you made me feel a lot worse. You sound like, oh, man, get off my lawn, kids. That's what it sounds like. Okay. Listen, I understand what you're saying, but this year is already a disappointment to Carolina and to Carolina football. There's two atrocious losses. We could possibly be undefeated and still in the, the picture and all that. So that was over. So what do we got to hang our hat now? This rivalry game, the chances of making the championship game are slim. So this is what we hang our hat on. And the difference was if we would have gone out there and just won a regular game and it not be that close or just you know, had a 10-point win, that's different. I was there. I'm sure you were there. The electricity of that, 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 that feeling was there. To have, so think you had the game won. Then to come back and you're like, because I was there, I'm like, man, it's lost. 41 seconds left. It's over. How did we lose to these bumps? But then to march right back down the field, kick the field goal, tie it up, going overtime, winning double overtime. And it just, it's crazy, the electricity, the, the emotion. I mean, I have nothing. I loved it. I watched it. I filmed it. I celebrated it. And I think they, I thank goodness they did it. Can I ask you an honest question? Like, what would have to be the scenario for you to be on the other side of this? Like, do you believe, like, it's not even worth having the debate with somebody. Is it worth storming the field for this particular win if you're of the belief there is no circumstance that you're no, not no, okay no, with I it? don't believe, I don't believe okay, that. That's why State, I okay, fine. App State game. That game went to overtime, too. What if they stormed the field after that game? Would you be all right with that? No, because what I said, I prefaced my, my – when I started – when I first called – I said our season had become a disappointment. Okay. If we had not lost those two games, then and we're still sitting undefeated, I don't think we stormed the field. I don't think all that. But after those two losses, when we looked at our season and said, oh, man, we had such promise, ACC championship game, didn't talk about the, you know, the playoffs possibly. And when all that went down the drain, we hung our hats on this Carolina-Duke rivalry. Okay, well now. then let's hold one second. I think we might actually be in agreement then. Like, my issue is I was still taking Carolina seriously, holding them to the standard that people wanted me to hold them to a month ago. Are you saying that if they were unbeaten and still had not lost and were ranked in the top 10 and they won and celebrated that way, that it would then be a problem because that would be an unserious thing to do? In some way, I don't think it would have happened. I don't think if we were undefeated going into this game and then we beat them, I mean, we'll never know. I just don't think it would have happened sure. okay. because we would have had so much more to look forward to rather than just beating Duke. But because we had those two losses, this was it. Okay. And when it was such a great game, and this is all we pretty much got left, I can understand it. I had one piece of good news to get to. Thank you for the call, Joey. I do appreciate the other side of the ledger. J.C. Horn was activated off of IR today. Send me that cash out, family. And Frank Reich said how big of a deal said it you're not going to be surprised by this it is a very big deal if they get number eight back in the lineup well i think the guys have done a good you know obviously you miss jc a lot i mean the guy is a great player and you know love his attitude great teammate um but he's a high quality player now i think the guys have played really well i think the secondary has played very well in his absence uh, dante jackson had a particularly good game this last week um you know, Boodle made a couple nice plays. Um, you know, the safeties, you know, Vaughn and Xavier both played well. So, um, yeah, we'll just, you know, we'll continue to take it from there. We still haven't talked about DiCaprio Boodle. He's been playing well. 
There's two nicknames that he has. Good name there. Some people call him Shutter Island, like Revis Island, but Shutter Island, which is a DiCaprio movie. Mm-hmm. I totally would understand that. He also, DiCaprio starred in a movie called The Aviator. So I some do people, get that one. So some people call him The Aviator, like No Fly Zone. Yeah, I know what you mean on that one. I get that The reference. fact that he plays Corner, though, No Fly Zone, I, Aviator. I, I, I gathered. I gathered that. we got to figure out which of those two is a better nickname. Perhaps we can get to that a little bit later on. You're on the drive with Josh Graham, WSJS. If I'm seeing the beautiful face of our next guest, it must mean basketball is being played of all kinds. We'll get into the Brandon Miller stuff. His start with the Hornets, NBA, out precise the Geis, which we haven't played in a while, because Brian Geisinger is here with us. Read his stuff, various places. Listen to his podcast, the Buzzbeat podcast. Oh, one of the smartest hoop guys that we know. BG, we're through one week of the college basketball season. If we're limiting our scope to the ACC, I don't know how much you've seen of teams. Has any one team or two jumped out to you early on? Miami's looked awesome. I think, you know, predictably so. I think a lot of people like the mix they had coming back this season. Um, and they looked incredible. Uh, the other day I watched their win over Central Florida. And I just love the mix. You know, Nigel Pack is back to run point guard, big time shooter. Um, we'll get probably more, you know, playmaking, shot-making opportunities with Isaiah Wong in the NBA. Nor Chad O'Meara, one of the best, you know, front court small ball centers in the country. They play make through him a lot, a lot of five-out actions in the half court. They bring in Matthew Cleveland from Florida State, you know, one of the best talents in the ACC, who's getting to kind of play like a bit of a different role um, on both sides of the court with Miami. It's a little bit less switching um you know fsu one through five switch miami's a little bit more situational plenty of switching one through four but when they get into their pick and roll defense and cleveland's on the back side that he gets to play kind of free safety mode and just play a play a role that's very similar to what jordan miller did the last couple of years for for jim laranaga in miami and then wooka poplar who's one of the best returning you know nba prospects in the country one of the best nba prospects in the acc um, an outstanding athlete, long arms, can really shoot and jump. And now they've got another guard, Bensley Joseph, who's in his third year there, who's probably one of the best on-ball defenders on the, along the perimeter in the ACC too. So they jump out to me. I mean, Central Florida kept that game close, but Miami has all the makings of a team that should be really good in the conference and has the, has the chance, uh, you know, for a, a deep postseason run. Are you concerned at all? See, I watched both of North Carolina's games over the weekend. I didn't get a chance to watch the full Radford game until the weekend arrived. You and I were both at Duke and Arizona. And if we're being nitpicky, obviously that's a really big game that Duke played and Arizona's really good. Some concerns about Kyle Filipowski as a five versus a better fit, him being at the four. It looked like they were missing Derek Lively quite a bit in that game but again it's very early on Sean Stewart played some minutes in the first half and showed some things so we'll see how he develops as the season goes on North Carolina 
Elliot Cadeau coming off the bench still and still hasn't really looked the part. What did they need from him in order for North Carolina to achieve the lofty goals that they have? Have you seen enough from either of those two to start putting together a file of concern as they head into more difficult games? I think it's too early, but it doesn't mean you can't, you probably need to see like a handful of games before um, you can really start to sort of like view things as trends and, and obviously stuff can change over time. But I think two games is too early, especially with, you know, weird differences in, in competition level. Um, the concerns I had with, with Duke um, were something that persisted since they sort of, um, you know, weren't able to land kind of a run jump center in the transfer, transfer portal, whether that was Caden Shedrick or, Deron Holmes, um, who ended up sticking back at at Dayton. Um, But that just wasn't something that they were able to get. The thought maybe is that you can bring Christian Reeves along um, a little bit as a second year in his program. And, you know, he was a little up and down against Arizona, but it's not like he, you know, didn't make any plays in that game. I think we'll need to see probably more playing time for, for Sean Stewart just to get his length and athleticism on the floor. Um, and I think they are going to run into some challenges without having a, you know, unbelievable versatile defensive center like Derek Lively or Mark Williams the last couple of years. Like those guys were absolute game changers and Lively last year could guard pick and roll every single way he could switch out. He was quick enough to guard along the perimeter and he erased so many issues at the rim. Plus offensively, he was such a release valve for them with his, with his ability to catch lobs. You just made me realize really, that Duke, you could argue, has had the best rim protector in the league the last three years. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I'd have to think about the the, the like the 2021 season. Yeah, Mark's freshman bit. year. He didn't emerge yeah, until maybe February of that year. He really came on. Yeah, the last 10 games, you know, he was he was pretty excellent. Maybe Jay Huff from UVA may have been like the best. He's there the was that rock him. fight in Charlottesville between Duke and Virginia where Mark was <laughs> blocking a ton of shots, and I think Jay Huff had a winner. Uh, in, uh, probably, honestly, the league also had Manny Bates that year at uh, NC State and Walker Kessler and Dayron Sharp at UNC. Given where Kessler is now, like his stature in the NBA, we should probably give Kessler the award uh, for, for that season. But <laughs> the he last two won. years for Duke then, we'll say. Yeah, in, in either you know, to, without, to digress, like – they're just really going to have to like lean into um, the advantages that having Filipowski at the five presents. And you can see him, he's open on those pick and pops every play unless teams want to switch. And then that's not going to be palatable because then, you know, Filipowski can just try to, you know, pound it against a, a smaller guard uh, defender. So they're going to have to lean into that. I think the bigger issue becomes like, I think they'll figure out their coverages and I think they're, they have enough talent to, one, score a lot so that it's making teams take the ball out of the net. And they've got good defenders along the perimeter. I think the, the main thing is also going to be just, like, foul trouble, too. Because, like, you could see when, when Flip got in foul trouble against Arizona, all of a sudden that's, like, a problem for John Shire and Duke to have to manage. Um, and, uh, and, look, Ryan Young, I think, is, like, a, you know, a rotation player in the ACC. But he is, he is limited offensively. Um, outside of his ability to like, you know, rebound and, and, and set screens. And you could see Arizona really leaned into that and sort of gummed up Duke's offense, uh, you know, during, especially during the second half, but throughout stretches of, of Young's, what, 12-minute stint in that game? Yeah, and he really struggled. Tyrese Proctor struggled as well. Duke tomorrow will be facing Michigan State in Chicago. 
WD, are you ready to bring it back? Let's make it happen. Out precise the Geis. Let's go. Brian Geisinger is a basketball genius. Josh Graham, uh, is not. I'm smart, you're dumb. I'm big, you're little. I'm right, you're wrong. Listen as Brian launches half-court shots and Josh, well, double dribbles all over himself. And there's nothing you can do about it. Get off the bench and try to out-precise the Geis. I know it's been a long time since we've done this because this is the first time we've done this in the new studio in Winston, which means I'm close enough to WD that I can show him my answer (laughs) on a piece of paper so people know that I'm not cheating and basing answers off of BG. (laughs) You know? So that's pretty good, I think. Uh, What is the first question that you have? For those who are unfamiliar, WD has hoop NBA-related questions that he's going to throw at BG and myself. And this is based on the first month of the NBA season. What do you have, WD? Let's start off with some Warriors. Uh, so Steph Curry has essentially been trying to carry the Warriors lately. He had 38 last night against the T-Wolves. It was not enough. And when you go to the second best scorer on the team, it is a dip. It's Clay Thompson. How many points per game does he have? How many does Steph average? I don't know how many averages, but he had thir- uh, uh, 30, 30, 30-something. 30 yeah, yeah. Okay, so like, we're, we're looking for Clay's average on the year. Correct. Okay. Yeah. yeah. In, instead of doing those 30 points per game on just, like, absolute ruthless yeah. efficiency, too, he's he's he is something else. Yeah, Wiggins and Clay Thompson have both been off to, like, a tough start this year. Um, Clay, I'll say 15 a game for, for Clay. I have 19.8, which is wrong. He's got 16.1. He did hit a game winner earlier this season, though. Yeah. That, that was cool. BG's a bit rusty. He was off by a little bit more than a point there. <laughs> That's right. Uh, yeah. Still got me, though. That's okay. <laughs> What's okay. the next one? Uh, James Harden on the Clippers oh. now. Oh. We're going to, yeah. We're going to Poor move. Russell Westbrook, man. Things I were know. going well. They were. With Russ. And he looked so happy. And then James Harden showed up. Yeah. And he hasn't had the uh, great impact as of yet. I know a lot of people will be shocked to hear that. Uh, 0 for 4 so far. Ty Lue even said today he thinks he's being a little too polite as far as his aggression level. He's attempted more than four shots. They're 0 and 4 their record. 0 and 4 their record is what I mean. <laughs> yes. Yeah. How, how James ma- Harden's attempted four shots, you guys. Yeah. So how many points per game so far through these four games oh. does James Harden have? Oh, no. We're doing yeah. this. Uh- by the way, I gotta assume he's gonna shake some of this is rust. Yeah. Like it would be nuts if he really lost like 15 miles per hour off his fastball in the span of, of one season. But he looks bad. Um, I will say 14 a game for Harden. I got nine. It's 13.5. Ah, still got me. Yeah. I don't know why nine's the theme that nine I have here. Times. 19, nine. But. By the way, the I saw this yesterday. The Clippers were minus 28 with Harden on the floor in 29 minutes yesterday yeah. in a game that they lost by four points to the like two and eight Memphis Grizzlies. So it's not going great, uh, you guys, with no. uh, Harden. Um, Good thing so they gave up the first round. Four guys who need the ball at the same time, um, one of whom maybe washed up is. Uh, not great. Good thing they gave up a future first that they might need in order to do that. That's a great idea. Okay, one more. Let's move on to some Hornets. Uh, the report <laughs> out there today is about Miles Bridges. He's going to be back on Friday against sure, the Bucks. I'm sure that's going to go well. Yeah, they're going to be against the Bucks. They're saying there he's going to have a big role. Also, 
you know, we're watching Brandon Miller's development, but a fun story of the Hornets so far has been watching Mark Williams' development, as we were talking about him yeah. earlier. He leads the Hornets by a lot in rebounds. How many rebounds per game does he have? He's cleaning up on the boards. Yeah, we'll just say, um, won't go down a whole, whole, whole rabbit hole here, but just very disappointed to see uh how the miles bridges roll out it continues to come along but um focusing on guys who have been on the court so far this season um mark williams he's been awesome let's say let's say nine rebounds per game i have 11 written down 11. it's 9.2 <laughs> nine times oh, yeah. <laughs> if i'll say this josh if mark williams played more it'd be 11 like yeah. in terms of like a, a per rate per minute number like he's been incredible just they do you know richards gets a plenty of playing time as the backup five too so that sort of limits uh williams's opportunities does that count uh in-season tournament stats or is this just <laughs> I'm uh, sure regular this is, season i think this is uh overall here <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, it's so great yeah. uh well, let's close with the hornets so brandon miller uh Last night, if you just look at the box score, five of six shooting, it seems like they're, if you want to use the word you used for Miles Bridges and how bad of a rollout that's been, the way they've rolled out Brandon Miller, some good, some bad, some having to force him into spots with Terry Rozier being hurt and him having to start the last week and a half or so. How have you felt uh, encouraged, uh, or discouraged? How have you felt about Brandon Miller? I think pretty encouraged, honestly, so far. Um, and, you know, unfortunately, he hurt his ankle uh, in, up in New York uh, in the first quarter last night, and he was playing very well at the at the time. He tried and to, shout out you know, to Leaky Black, too, by the way, scoring his first basket yesterday. It was pretty cool off of the, uh, I believe it was uh, Nick Smith Jr., one of the other rookies who assisted him on that. Um, yeah. But, yeah, no, I mean, like, Miller's been one of the few bright spots in what's been a pretty grim season thus far for the Hornets. And again, I don't think it's going to get much brighter with the return of bridges coming later this week, but um, yeah, I think Miller's been really good. I think they've used him in nice ways. They've gotten him off the ball. He's moved well as a cutter. They're using him coming off of screens and handoff actions to get looks. He shot well from the mid range. He shot well at the rim. Granted, a lot of those are like assisted looks in transition or, or cutting along the baseline, but Outside of like the play of LaMelo Ball and Mark Williams, um, you know, Miller's sort of been like one of the few bright spots. I think the plan with him so far has been good. It will be interesting to see like how he continues to develop as a shooter because the three hasn't really fallen going back to, you know, summer league. And so that, that, that's something that has to come along for him. And then when it does, what does that open for him as a playmaker, either coming off of, you know, pin downs, down screens, or in the pick and roll? Like there are like obvious next steps for him. But so far, I think the early returns in, in terms of on-court performance with Miller have been uh, you know, pretty promising. Find solace in this, though, Hornet fans. Unlike the other team across town that took a kid out of Bama that's rebuilding, at least the Hornets have their first-round pick next year. They got that going for they them. Do. They do. <laughs> they do. They would have to – basically, they would have to, I believe uh, – make the playoffs for the the pick this one pick that they that's that they used to trade yep. up to get to kai jones that now is owed to san antonio after a couple of teams have, have moved it around but uh right now i don't like the odds of that happening so yes i would think that that pick will stay uh in the queen city yes that's at least the hope but we'll see what happens brian geisinger it's good to see you we'll have to do this more often
Yep. Take care, guys. There he goes. Brian Geisinger. Make sure you support his stuff. Great writing. Great content on his uh, social media, Hornets-related, ACC-related. Good stuff, as always. WD, you know what's not good? I don't know what's not good. Your inability of recognizing entertainment from when from before you were born. You look at a piece of paper. What are we giving away today? Uh, oh, we're going to do this again. Some uh, Elaine-ness uh, Morissetti. Morissetti. That's what he said to me. Alanis Morissetti. Or is that the correct pronunciation? No, Alanis is correct. Okay, so I said Alanis. Uh, Alanis Morissetti. And then I said... Irish mobster, Alanis Morissetti. Uh, if you'd like to see Alanis Morissette in Raleigh next year, we have one more pair of tickets. She's a singer, not a comedian. That's right. He asked if it was a comedian or a singer. That's a real thing that happened. 